and welcome back to Theme Park the Movie, the podcast where we talk about our favorite movies and the theme park attractions inspired by them. And as always, I'm your host, Travis Kirkland. Hello, hi. Hope, hope everyone has been having a marvelous time since I last spoke to you on the previous episode. Uh, but this episode, we're going to have some more marvelous times because we will be focusing on all things E. T. That's right, everyone. Get your bikes together, get your Reese's PCs all together as well, because we're going to be talking about not only the classic Universal film, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, we'll also be talking about the classic Universal Studios attraction, E.T. Adventure. And I have quite an excitable young man to discuss all things E.T., and that is Kenneth Leeming Jr. Now, if that name seems familiar to you, it may be because uh, Kenneth is one of the co-hosts of the Dream Jerks podcast, the podcast where they cover every DreamWorks animated movie. You may also recognize Kenneth because he's one of the members of the pop punk band Pangolin. Wait a minute. Pangolin? That seems familiar too. And you're right, my friends, because Pangolin is the very same band who does the theme song for this podcast. Crazy world! In fact, out of this world, all the way to the green planet, but we have a lot of green plant discussion to be had in today's conversation of all things E.T., and it was a lot of fun, a lot of deep dives into E.T. and all sorts of extraterrestrial nonsense, so, uh, well, it's not nonsense to me. I think it's a lot of fun. If it was nonsense, then uh, why would you even listen to this podcast? Anyway, I shouldn't get too deep into this. Let's just go ahead and start the main meat of this episode. So let's ride the movie. Listeners of the podcast, please welcome Kenneth Leeming Jr. Hello, hello. Well, uh, or I'm welcoming myself. I'm here. It is I. Is it weird to like, because I think (laughs) you have that podcast host mind where it feels like you have to sort of, you know, play host, but you are, you're, you're playing guest. It, yeah, a little bit. And I mean, I've been a podcast listener for so long that uh being involved in like doing podcasts either as a guest or a host is still a little bit pretty new to well, me yeah, well maybe it should be just a common courtesy just to the listener that the host and the guest both welcome uh each other and the listener because that would because that would seem oh very yeah that would that's seem a good very rude that's a good idea um Okay, here, welcome me again real quick, and then okay. I'll, yeah. Okay, all right, let's, all right, let's do it, all right, uh, screw it, we'll do it live, okay. Listeners of the podcast, please welcome Kenneth Leeming Jr. 
and Kenneth Leeming Jr. Please welcome the listeners of the podcast. Ah, uh, see, this is wonderful. See, and you, you know, uh, this, and I, I want to say that this subject matter for this episode is all about, you know, the family unit and about being friends and whatnot. So I think this is a, an appropriate way to start to kick things yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I already kind of mentioned this about you having podcast host brain. And <laughs> that is because I already mentioned this in the intro, but you are one of the co-hosts of the Dream Jerks podcast. It's true. It's true. You I can't am. deny it. We I no, I can't we, anymore. Yeah. I we have gotcha. To, we gotcha. I'm not ashamed anymore. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's Dream Tricks, and and it's uh, that's my show with with my friend John, and we watch and talk about all of the DreamWorks animated movies in order. Uh, so yeah, it's been a journey so far. Well, I know you've already <laughs> talked about this on the on your own podcast before, but why pick DreamWorks? Ah, uh, so. Um, I, I don't know if you and or your listeners are aware, I, I'm sure you are, of a podcast called Disorder, Every Disney Film, uh, mm-hmm. which is a show on real fans for real. What is it? Real real movies for real fans? Something like that? Something uh, like that. Real... I forget what the pot, what I don't remember what the network is called, but it's a show where they started off with Snow White and they kind of just went through all of the like official Walt Disney animated feature films um, and talked about each one of them. And I have been listening to that show since the beginning. And uh, originally I wanted to do a similar thing with Pixar because I love, I love Pixar so much. Um, But then once, once disorder started getting further along in its uh, like down the list, getting close Mm -hmm. to like current, uh, you know, most recent film. Yeah. They started talking about what the future of the show might be. And they said, you know, maybe we'll do Pixar. Maybe we'll do something else. We don't know yet. And eventually it kind of became clear that they were going to just kind of do any Disney movies at all in any order. They're going to mm-hmm. just kind of talk about whatever they want, including some Pixar, including live action, including any, whatever, anything that has the Disney name on it. Yeah. Um, anything under the Disney umbrella, basically. Yeah. And so when they said that, I said, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't do a Pixar show because that's going to be covered on their shows still. So what's another animation? Cause I, 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 I am a big fan of animation. Um, and so I thought, what, what is the next animation studio that has a filmography long enough to be able to get a good bit of episodes out of it? And that the clear choice is DreamWorks. Um, I feel like DreamWorks has been for a long time the main f- competitor to mm-hmm. Disney and Pixar. Mm-hmm. Uh and the other thing I love about DreamWorks is that they are so inconsistent in the quality of their films. Uh, and so as a, <laughs> as a listener to like, how did this get made? And, uh, you know, and then someone who enjoys bad movies and talking about bad movies, um, 
I know that, you know, it's fun to talk about things you like, but sometimes it's even more fun to talk about things that you don't like and talk about why they don't work for you. So the DreamWorks library is, it kind of lets us have both kinds of conversations and everything in between. Yeah, you get to, it's not just simply you have the one particular tone or even the one particular type of movie to talk about. You have different ups and downs and highs and lows that you can really examine without getting too bored. Right. It's a real roller coaster. And as of recording, there are 40 DreamWorks animated films and another one comes out next week. So yeah. it's uh, it, it's it's going to be a long time before we catch up. And uh, I should mention, just for this, for the sake of ego, that I did do an episode of your podcast where we talked about Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. That was a, a very entertaining time. I had a really fun time doing talking <laughs> about that, talking about horse movie. Horse movie is. I'm glad that you wanted to come on and talk about that because it's a journey and a burden to have to watch and talk about that movie and uh, uh you were very eager and willing to come on and talk about this movie that nobody likes or at least none of us on the show liked it there are people who like it i mean but. i think that i think yeah i mean i think uh i've i've had that's sometimes the most fun challenge for me sometimes when i've been doing podcasting is is uh trying to mine conversation out of things that you wouldn't normally be interested in. And I think that can be a, a fun challenge. And uh, I definitely had a, a fun time. I def, uh, aside from just recommending the DreamWorks podcast in general, that's a, I, I recommend that episode. I, again, I know that there's some ego involved there, but so, I had a lot of fun. I also recommend that episode. I, uh, I call that our most chaotic episode, which I, I say in a positive way. Yeah. Um, I, I think of like the Shark Tale episode, I think is the only other one that comes close to that level of like, this movie is crazy and there is very little about it to like. And the energy of the conversation was, was very, uh, for both episodes is very, chaotic and and unique Uh, i think those two episodes if you like if you like hearing people try to understand something that they don't understand those are probably the best two episodes to start with that i could think of yeah and uh, we'll see how the chaos uh, if that still happens for a movie you genuinely like but before we get to that movie you genuinely like i do want to take a minute to mention that you are also a member of a very awesome very fun band called pangolin it's true it's my passion project this is my number one uh thing that i put my efforts into is is this band uh all, all my creative energy and a lot of my time, even at like my real job, is spent thinking about things to do for this band that hopefully someday can become a form of income or like a, I, it's less about the income and more about just like the ability to not have to do anything else. <laughs> yeah, well, too, it's like, you know, it is the thing that like it doesn't feel work, feel like work because it's, it's just pure fun, you know. Right. It's it's just so much fun to do. It's, you know it's the it's that classic expression and I know it's such a cliche but they say you know if you do what you love you then you never work a day in your life 
And like as much time as I've ever put into this band and working on recording music and like writing sketch videos and like editing videos and traveling to do like stupid things that are not even really part of being a band. Um, uh, it never feels like work, even though it's so much time and effort. It's just for the love of the game. Oh, totally. And you, you can definitely hear it in the sound. I really enjoy, I really enjoy you guys' music. Thank you. And that's, I mean, and we liked doing your theme song for your other show. And uh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it's, uh, I appreciate it. We've gotten a lot of, a lot of like new support recently that, uh, is really nice to see. And, uh, I don't know. I, we kind of use the pandemic and the inability to play shows as an opportunity to kind of branch out and do more online stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and try to reach a, a, a bigger audience that way. And I think it, kind of worked so i'm excited to see kind of how that how that uh unfolds as as like the live music world kind of comes back to normal as it's kind of already doing yeah it's it's very exciting yeah it is and uh, i'm very excited to see what you guys are gonna be doing in the coming years and whatnot but as we are living here in the present time I think we need to get excited about our subject for today's episode, and that is concerning the extraterrestrial known as E.T. So, you want to start from the beginning with the original movie? Heck yeah. Yeah. I'm doing our own my own transitional music to into the next segment. <laughs> In 1975, he directed Jaws. In 1978, he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the Extraterrestrial. We will witness the arrival The search, the desertion, the fear, the discovery, the friendship. I'm keeping him. The secret, the love, the warning, the signal. A mystery, a danger. The intrusion, the wonderment, the enchantment, the hope. The connection has been made. Universal Pictures presents Steven Spielberg's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. E.T. The Extraterrestrial, directed by Steven Spielberg, 
was released on May 26, 1982. It stars Henry Thomas, Robert McNaughton, Drew Barrymore, Dee Wallace, Peter Coyote, and many others. It became the highest grossing film of all time until the release of Jurassic Park in 1993. Spielberg topping himself. And it's funny, too, because if you look at the history of highest box office grosses before E.T., uh the highest grossing film of all time was star wars there's his buddy george lucas there okay and then before that it was jaws back to spielberg yeah and and then i believe how it happened was in the 90s because of the special editions uh star wars reclaimed its title from jurassic park only for titanic to take the record and so you know another uh very famous white guy director james cameron managed to to butt his way in there and then he'd manage to top himself <laughs> there with avatar and then two other white guy directors the russo brothers were like oh we have avengers endgame so uh you know make some room make some room in the uh box office gross lounge please you know <laughs> yeah hey good for all those white guys it's about time it's, it's about a, time it's about time that old white guys get rich and find the success that they really deserve i think but look we don't need all that cynicism absolutely absolutely <laughs> we, we don't need that cynicism in fact let let me kenneth i'm gonna take you back back to maybe a younger you a more innocent more more uh, formative time for you your childhood so can you tell me the first time that you saw et the extraterrestrial I don't actually remember the first time I saw this movie. I know my family had a VHS copy of it with the green. There were like green parts to the tape. Uh, I think maybe. Yeah, like the tape was black. And then I think maybe one of the like the spools on the back, you know, like the little wheels that the tape is wrapped around. Uh Um, Like, I think those were green. They were green. I remember that the the VHS had green in it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I mean, not to go too far into the future, but do you think that was signifying the green planet? It could be. I mean, this tape might have come out after that book. I would I would assume it did. Um, the the what was it called the. The Book of the uh, Green Planet. Yeah, E.T., The Book of the Green Planet, which we will definitely get into because it is a kind of, for something that's not very well known, kind of a pivotal thing to discuss in the history of E.T. as a franchise. Yeah. Uh, but, okay, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the VHS on Google Images. And okay. so the little the little door at the top of the VHS that, you know, hides the tape, that mm-hmm. um, that's green. And then the spool wheels for inside the tape are also green. Wonder why? I mean, was that was that because something that was special about the video, or did was Spielberg like when the when the movie gets put out, we gotta we gotta add green to it. Uh, we gotta. I don't know why. I just see green on the ET VHS tapes. Yeah, I don't know why, but I just yeah. all I know is that it it mattered to me as oh. a young child that this tape was different than the other tapes. And maybe that's why I liked uh, watching it. 
But okay. So so I grew, I mean I definitely watched it as a child and I I always liked it. I didn't, you know, it's not like I it wasn't one of my favorite movies growing up. Um okay. I just always, you know, respected and appreciated it. I recognized the references to it and I kind of just left it at that. And then at one point in college, I believe I was working my way through watching various filmographies of different directors or studios and as I was making my way through Spielberg's uh, catalog, I got to E.T. And honestly, I think this kind of is the first time I really remember watching E.T. to where I understood it. And it mm-hmm. like it made sense to me. And it the, the, the messages and the themes and the filmmaking really, uh, you know, registered for me. And I was what maybe 20 watching this movie and it felt like the first time and i i was like standing up for a lot of it like i was so enthralled that i like couldn't i couldn't remain seated i was just like this movie is is pure magic uh it 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 captures the feeling of childhood and like wonderment in such a like palpable way you can like almost physically feel it and uh i i think personally and this is just my theory my hypothesis but i think that et is the movie that solidified steven spielberg as the filmmaker that we know him to be today i think before that you could have chalked up his successes to flukes or you know like well wow. yeah you, you can make an adventure movie or whatever like i think you know it's when, when someone makes one good movie it's like well we don't know if they actually if that was their skill or if they got lucky but i think et is the movie that was it, it's it's so small and quiet and restrained uh that at that point it's like okay no this guy knows what he's doing right right um you know what i was thinking this um because i asked one of the first questions i asked you was what you know when where did you first hear about or watch et so to borrow a a bit from a earwolf podcast that we're both very familiar with um is this an episode of we talking extra to me about <laughs> E.T., the extraterrestrial, i.e. the movie and the ride, E.T.A. right now? <laughs> uh, I think it is. To Shrek, E.T.'s real name. This is we talking extra to me about E.T. the extraterrestrial, i.e. the movie and the ride, E.T.A. right now. The comprehensive 
an encyclopedic compendium of all things E.T., the extraterrestrial. This is good filmmaking uh, magic. Uh, this is Travis. And this is not Travis. This is Kenneth. This is Kenneth. And, uh, you know, I, I know... Uh, I know uh, we were supposed to be recording, you know, my podcast, but I think this uh, sub podcast kind of needs to take precedent because we are talking about E.T. so much. I think so, too. Yeah. Now, okay, I want to get back to something that you said, though, about um, Steven Spielberg, though. So um, was was Spielberg a guy? So it wasn't until your 20s that you really, really, truly appreciated the movie E.T., so what did you think of Spielberg as a filmmaker before that, that viewing where everything clicked? Uh, well, I, I mean, I always liked him. Jurassic Park was one of my favorite movies from the time I saw it when I was four. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a movie that like I saw it and maybe it's just because it's so ad- like adventure action that like as a, from that time to present day, there mm-hmm. was never a time in my life where I didn't appreciate and love Jurassic Park. Um, whereas E.T., I think because it's so quiet and small, I just kind of like wrote it off as like, oh yeah, that's a great movie that I don't ever really feel like watching, you know? Um, so I always liked Steven Spielberg and, you know, I was always excited to, if like he had a movie coming out that, you know, seemed like it was something I would like at that young age, I would always want to go see them. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I always liked him, but as like, I guess... At that age, I was really getting into uh, watching movies, thinking about movies, talking about movies, and like trying to understand like what makes a movie good versus what makes a movie enjoyable, which is, is are not always the same thing, by yeah. the way. Oh, um, totally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and and so I think that's why, like, I. I, I, I was kind of look, viewing it in a different way, maybe. But, you know, Spiel, uh, Steven Spielberg as, you know, is just basically accepted as one of the greatest direct, like filmmakers that's ever lived. And so I was kind of like, well, all right, I'm just going to go from the Sugarland Express all the way up mm-hmm. through, you know, I think Lincoln was like maybe the next movie that came out after the, at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to just like see what this guy, does he really have the chops? Does it hold up? And yeah, yes, Spielberg. And- <laughs> yes, Spielberg. Are you actually good or not? Yeah, I'll, I'll be the arbiter of that. <laughs> it remains to be seen until I say <laughs> I approve. Uh, you know, I, I'll, you, you are, I think, pretty correct though in that statement about how you feel like ET is really a defining film in the Spielberg filmography. And that's not easy. That's not easy for a filmography that has so many movies that are iconic. You know, the aforementioned Jurassic Park and Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Schindler's List and Ghost Encounters and all that. But I think E.T., like you said, it really, I think, touches on a certain magic that Spielberg can just unlock in the viewer that i think is unique to him not that other films can't be magical can't touch people but in a certain way but that spielberg i think uh with et it's sort of like ah this guy this is uh 
this is the craftsman and in many ways this is a uh even though like by that time it was like you know more more than a couple films deep in his filmography I was like ah this i watched this and i understand this man i and i and what he wants to do with filmmaking yeah because i'm looking at the, his filmography right now and i mean uh there were a few like you know tv movies and short films dual uh, Sugarland Express, Jaws. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jaws is like groundbreaking. Yes, made you know career making movie. Mm-hmm. Um, then Close Encounters of, of the Third Kind, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. Uh, and I don't know. That's that's a weird movie. I don't really know how to how to place that in terms of like what it how it uh, you know what it did for his career, kind of what what it said about him as an artist. Then 1941, which is, you know, not so great. Yeah, his um, first bomb, basically. <laughs> yeah. Then Raiders of the Lost Ark, which, obvi- like, obviously that movie is a classic and it's incredible. Um, but I think, I think even a less talented filmmaker could have pulled that movie off based on the talent of Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that movie probably still would have been really good, even if it was kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I can see that i mean i can see that uh and then and then et is next yes. and et is like yeah i just think like with all of that leading up to it i think that's the point where you're like okay he is he is the reason that these movies are the way they are yeah it's funny because in that <laughs> uh, if you find the theatrical trailer uh that was put out in 1982 for et there's an opening narration where the narrator goes, you know, you know, in 1975, he made Jaws. In 1977, he made Close Encounters of the Third. Basically listing off his big credits and yeah. then saying, and, and now in the summer of 1982, E.T., the extraterrestrial. It almost does feel kind of like, uh, uh, you know, this is like, ah, you know, you thought the way it's being presented in the trailer is like, oh, you know, you thought these were classics. We now present you with this, though. Yes. Yeah. Magnum opus. But uh, let's get into the actual meat of the movie instead of just talking about it in a uh, big historical sense. I mean, sure. you, were, you were talking about how it t- taps into childhood. Obviously, a positive that's been talked so much about it. And But I am really taken by the lighting in the movie. I'm very taken by it because it feels very warm. It also feels very naturalistic, like it, like there, like light obviously plays an important part in movie making, filmmaking, especially in uh, Spielberg stuff. But there's a sort of warmness to it, like there's very natural light with the night lights and the way that um, light comes in through like the windows of their of the child of the children's bedrooms and whatnot. Um, yeah, it just feels uh, there's a there's a warm comfortness to it all, and it, it feels very natural. It doesn't feel you know this is probably film nerdy brain talking, but it doesn't feel like there's it, you don't feel things being backlit or overlit, even though it's a film set. And probably they're doing that and just hiding all the wires and whatnot. But uh, right. that really strikes me. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I feel like there, yeah, it's, lighting isn't something I usually think about when I, when I watch a movie, but as I'm thinking about it, you're a hundred percent right. Like warm is the word 
to to use here and i feel like even just the way that the movie is lit and shot like i feel like you can you kind of know what their house smells like you know yeah, what I, you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> yeah there's a uh, there's a co- there's a familiarity to it yeah um and I, and i think that's that's i think that's also key to a lot of uh spielberg's early stuff um i think like his 70s and 80s stuff and like one of the things that gets talked up about spielberg is how he is able to create these wonderful fantastic elements and bring them into our world and make it seem magical and i think part of that is that he is very good at uh tactileness as we in the real world uh know it so for instance like you know aliens we don't know what an alien looks like we don't know how an alien talks or walks or whatever but we understand if something passes by a window we understand how a shadow gets cast or if we understand when a finger thumps on a desk we understand what that sound is and i think uh in a lot of his movies and i think especially in et he manages to bring that sort of fantasticness and make it not seem so alien so you have et uh like he plays around with toys and we understand sort of the tactileness of toys and talking about the lighting again and uh yeah again it's sort of it's it's kind of weird to try to dig into it because there's some et at times feels like there's a weird like uh there's an alchemy to it that you can't necessarily dissect uh except the fact that just makes you feel good yeah yeah and and on the topic of like what you're talking about of like we know how you know the sound of a of a finger on a desk and stuff a, a sound in this movie that really makes me, I don't know. It just makes my brain feel like, okay, I understand how this world works mm-hmm. is when like E.T. is like chewing on a toy, you know, and like the sound of like his teeth yeah, yeah. on the toy mm-hmm. is so like distinct. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, you can I mean, hear, I can I can think of it and hear it like exactly the sound. <laughs> yeah. Now we have to talk about the main, the main alien itself, ET. Rebleeps. Or Drek. <laughs> or, or what is? Wait, what is Drek? You because you said that, and I was like, well, I don't know that one. So Drek is apparently his real name, as outlined in the aforementioned book ET, the Book of the Green Planet. Okay. Okay. And I, I, I does anybody um, care? No, they just call call me <laughs> T. And I thought or I had seen that there is like some uh Star Wars comic that uh because ET's species is seen in episode 1 as part of the Galactic Senate, mm-hmm. um there is a comic in like an old Star Wars comic pre Disney acquisition right. where there is a group of ET's species who are uh, requesting permission to go on this mission that ends up with ET getting stranded. Ah. And 
I believe, I don't know if it's E.T.'s name or if it's the leader of the expedition, but his name is Greebleeps, which is Spielberg spelled backwards, which is oh, uh, hmm. just a, a, such a silly word. <laughs> Greebleeps. <laughs> Greebleeps. Greebleeps. Yes, Greebleeps, you have permission to go and study plants on foreign planets. See, that's why I need to call him E.T., because otherwise if the movie was called Greebleep, people would be like, eh, that's a gross name. I don't want to go see that movie. Yeah. Greebleeps, go to Tikri. <laughs> you, you would feel grossed out and tossed, like, you want me to what? And to what? <laughs> you Greebleep, the bleep, the bleep, um getting back to the movie though um it's weird because uh i think that character is so distinct the character of et like you you read so much into him and yet uh that character is also a bunch of mystery because like you don't know like like we kind of joked about you don't know et's real name you don't Mm -hmm. even know if E.T. really has a gender. You don't even know how old E.T. is. Um, there's there's a lot that uh-huh. remains unanswered within the text of the movie, and yet uh, it's a you know testament to both how the special effects people like animated that little thing, and also just that the kid actors are so wonderful that they they re- they're re- just reacting to this puppet, but you you love that puppet because they love that puppet. Yeah. Yeah, and he's so expressive, and it's just so smart the way they made the movie. Where I, 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 if I understand correctly, they shot it in sequence so that at the end when ET leaves, the kids would really feel that and understand it in the moment of like, yeah, he's leaving. We've had this whole life with him, you know. Yeah, I think if if you watch, if you watch, if you get the Blu-ray or DVD of ET, you can find behind the scenes footage of uh on set when they were were shooting et and you can see uh them uh when they're shooting like the really sad and dramatic moments when you know you know when they think et is dead and whatnot and you see spielberg like comforting henry thomas and drew barrymore because they're really feeling it they're really like oh like it's not just acting they they really they really are fearful and sad for their yeah. friend ET, and uh, they're just—they're just dumb kids who don't know that he's fake. Yeah, Spielberg should <laughs> just slap them around like, "Look, you yeah. dummy! I made Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark, and this is a fucking puppet." You <laughs> grow, grow up. Yeah, or he's like, "Well, at least this one works instead of that, like, unlike that shark." Exactly. You yeah. know, it's like I spent—I <laughs> almost drowned my career in the ocean. I don't need you kids. Drowning me in your, in your fucking crocodile tears yeah. that I expected to just keep have on camera. Grow up. He's an alien and he's gonna die. You had time with him. That shark, that shark never worked. I never even got to form a relationship with him. <laughs> he's got it. It's like it's all, everyone in your life is either like that shark who's going to disappoint you, or like ET who's gonna die eventually. <laughs> This is how how you teach kids about the way of the world. Yeah. You have to make a movie. Yeah, put them in it. Poor Drew Barrymore. <laughs> maybe that's what happened, and she had that really rough patch in her life, unfortunately. <sighs> yeah. Well, I mean, think about that. Like, if you grew up, and a, 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 a how old was she then? Like four, five. Yeah, so I mean, she, they're all she, yeah, they're young. She spends 
a quarter of her life in a close relationship with a puppet that like yeah. she she has she has real emotionally charged memories of a friendship with a fake thing <laughs> like that that's yeah. really strange that would mess up anybody's life yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've never thought about that before <laughs> but yeah drew barrymore like one of her closest childhood friends is actually et yeah like those I... are those are real fe- uh, feelings that she had <laughs> What's fu- what's funny is that like you can add like she's asked about ET the movie and she'd be like oh yeah it was a wonderful time you know it was a great formative experience but what if you like point blank asked her it's like no I'm not asking about ET the movie what yeah. about ET your friend would she get the like, person yeah would she get like really dark and share it to and be like I I don't want to talk about yeah. it uh like like inside the actor studio James Lipton at one point should have asked her like. Now, Drew, is E.T. still right there? <laughs> then just automatically knocks over, <laughs> knocks the cards out of his hands. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. That's private. How do you know that? <laughs> it, no, if, if you don't mind me asking, and maybe this is me being my own James Lipton in this Okay. Way. So you said you really didn't appreciate this movie until your 20s. Um, if you don't have an answer for this, that's fine. But is there maybe a particular personal or life reason it didn't hit you until that point in your life? Um, well, I think that just at, at that young age, I don't I don't think I really understood what the movie is actually about, which is about. Uh, it's it's kind of Spielberg's divorce or like his the movie of him kind of learning to cope with his parents divorced when he was a kid, you know? Mm -hmm. So like E.T.'s or Elliot's dad is gone and he feels alone and, and just like lost in the world. And then he makes this friend E.T. who is also lost and alone and they form this bond. And I think just when I first would have seen this movie is like, you know, I was just too young to really understand or recognize that. I didn't Mm -hmm. really you kind of just take movies for at face value at that age where you don't really know what they're about. You just know what yeah, happens yeah, yeah. in them. Yeah. Um, and I think I, because it isn't a particularly fun movie the same way that like Jurassic park and like space jam and like the movies <laughs> that I, the movies that I did like more at that, at that age, you know, um, I think I just kind of, you know, I, I, I never had an urge to revisit it. Uh, and so when I finally did, it had been long enough that it was, I was essentially seeing and understanding the context of the movie for the first time. Um, which is always a really interesting experience to like watch a movie that, you know, you've seen and you know what happens in it and you know, the lines and you know, the music, but now you're watching it and you like, you understand it for the first time. Yeah. 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 I always love that feeling. And I always try to seek out those movies that I'm just like, you know what? I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. And like, I'm really interested to go back and, and, you know, watch it and understand what is this movie actually about? Yeah. (laughs) Have you had that same feeling with space jam? 
Unfortunately, Space Jam does not hold up to closer scrutiny. <laughs> You're not like, you know, I, I really understand why the tunes were that desperate to pull Michael Jordan <laughs> down into the tune world. <laughs> I really get their plight now. They really uh, don't want to they really don't want to be slaves at, at Moron Mountain. Well, and who would who would want to be? Can I I mean, it out? does. Yeah. Or, I mean, it makes sense. Who would want, you wouldn't want to be a slave anywhere. But I think it's just unfair to pull Michael Jordan into this when he had nothing to do with this conflict. Can I point out and I don't want to get on a, another sub podcast about Space Jam because we're already in we talk in extra to me about E.T. the extraterrestrial i.e. the movie and the ride E.T.A. right now. But the 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 climax of Space Jam, the original one, is that Michael Jordan eventually makes a deal with Swackhammer. Uh, the the boss of Moron Mountain Voice by Dan DeVito. He makes a mm. deal saying, hey, if if we lose the game, you don't take the tunes, you take me instead to Moron Mountain. So yeah. essentially the climax of Space Jam becomes becomes the issue of if this if this black person becomes enslaved and uh <laughs> and it, it, it's kind of like huh well, yeah. that happened. The 90s were wild. <laughs> they sure were. And I actually only recently found out that the movie is that movie is based on a commercial that yeah. Michael Jordan did with the tunes cuz and that adds so much context because for a long time I I just had the question in my head of like okay, so at some point in the 90s, some executive at Warner Brothers was like, "Hey, you know what? The Looney Tunes have been around for like 40, 50 years." It's about time they have a movie. Obviously, it has to be about basketball. Call Michael Jordan. Like I was just like, why is that the first Looney Tunes movie? It is. Uh, <laughs> look, we again, we don't have time for it, but Space Jam is kind of crazy to unpack. It is. Uh, whether whether you like that movie or not, it's kind of a crazy thing to unpack. But it's a movie I still love to watch. That I I have to admit is really terrible. But it's boy, is it fun? And boy, yeah. do, did I love it? And boy, do I still love it? I, lo- I love a terrible movie. Do you think <laughs> R. Kelly's "I Believe I Could Fly" could fit in perfectly with E.T. the Extraterrestrial? You could just slide that in. Boy, you know what? These movies both feature. Well, no, E.T. doesn't feature Michael Jackson at all, right? No, it doesn't. But he, uh, Michael- he was a fan though. Yeah, there's like a picture of Michael Jackson with E.T. And it <laughs> feels laugh. it feels like they were friends the way that Drew Barrymore was friends with E.T. <laughs> um, Except Michael Jackson Bob- really believed and never let go of that <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> um, but boy, it's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate that both of these movies uh, are so closely tied to very, very uh, problematic musicians <laughs> well luckily et does not actually feature any Michael yes in music you're right uh nowadays when i watch space jam i fast forward past i believe i can fly <laughs> i hate to admit it as bad as r kelly is that is a damn good soundtrack single but it is and he had so many great songs that it's like boy uh, we can't i can't i'm not i can't listen to those songs anymore i cannot allow myself to listen to those songs anymore well that's all another discussion but getting yeah. back to music <laughs> so i want to ask you this 
because okay. it's because certainly p- trying to pick around Spielberg's filmography and finding a favorite that can be some stiff competition. But talking about music, do you, Kenneth, is this your favorite John Williams score? It's definitely way up there. Um, I had the the first summer that I had a car. I burnt a mixed CD of my of ten John Williams uh, score pieces. Oh, can and you, can, you, can you can you go through a little bit of that track list? I might still have the playlist in my iTunes. I can see <laughs> if I have it. Um, it definitely started with the Jurassic Park theme, the 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 quiet one, you know, the good, the good, soft good one. Starter, good kickoff. Yeah. Then it went into Star Wars, the main title from Star Wars. Okay, good. Good second uh, second track pickup, yeah. I think I do have this playlist here still. Yeah, okay, I have the whole playlist. Um, so after, after main theme from Star Wars, we have uh, the theme from Jaws. Ooh. Then the Raiders March. Then Home Alone main titles. Ooh. Uh, then Wild Signals from Close Encounters. Mm-hmm. Then the Superman theme, mm-hmm. You Are the Pan from Hook. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hedwig's theme, and then the grand finale, Escape slash Chase slash Saying Goodbye from uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial. Uh, 15, a- minutes, 15 minutes and four seconds of perfect music. That is a great, yeah. That's a great. Uh, that's a great. That's a that's a great compilation there. I mean, that CD is great, but yeah, that the the that oh, that coda when ET saying goodbye and lifting off in the spaceship. It's it gets you. As I look at this, I think that yes, ET is my favorite John Williams score, or at least the themes, the the main themes. Yeah. Um, I do love his finale when it goes, you know, like that's, that's very wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. The one, the one part of that movie that I think is kind of eye rolly stupid is that moment when E.T.'s ship leaves and makes a rainbow in the sky. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the music. That's the score that, that, that. Uh, punctuates that moment yeah. is bam 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 bam. You were with that movie. You you said you were standing up for the entirety of that movie, but then when you saw that rainbow, you sat down. You're like, oh. yeah. <laughs> I, I said, okay, Spielberg, you lost me. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why did he, it do that? <laughs> when he did that 20th anniversary edition where he took out the guns, we should have took out that rainbow. <laughs> The, 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 the ship flies away and makes a walkie-talkie in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because that, that's what the movie was all about all along. It, it, it's about phoning home, so of course he'd make uh, he'd yeah. the shape of a walkie-talkie in the trail of his spaceship. The, the, he changes it so the ship flies uh, around like a, like a skywriter and writes, <laughs> Jesus loves you in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a fun Florida reference. Go look it up. <laughs> oh man oh man. oh god maybe oh man maybe uh, do you think that rainbow is the chemtrails that uh info wars is what is warning us about yes 
it started with E.T. It's alien toxins being dumped on us from the sky. Oh, God. That's what, uh, that's what Alex Jones worried about. It's like, well, you have to look to the skies, people. The extraterrestrials <laughs> are coming down, making us yeah. all day with their rainbow <laughs> chemtrails. Uh, John Williams is a master, and E.T. is... I think my favorite. I mean, it's that's uh, like all, an impossible task to choose, but it is so good. Indeed. And, uh, you know, I think we could talk so much more about the movie, but we have other things to attend to. But before we get to the other things, uh, do you have any final or lasting thoughts on the motion picture, E.T., the extraterrestrial? Um... I think I've said what I have to say. It is a truly magical movie that that leaves me with a feeling unlike any other movie. Um, it, 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 it does an amazing, perfect job of making you feel like you are a child who has gone through this journey with this, you know, fantastical creature. And, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Wonderful. And from that masterpiece, we, we, uh, have a, what I think a lot of people would consider a classic ride among, uh, the universal attractions. So let's get into it and let's talk about E.T. Adventure. Let's do it. I'm Steven Spielberg, and I'd like to welcome you to the E.T. Adventure. Now, today, we're going to cast you as actors in some scenes inspired by my film, E.T. And as your director, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our story and your role in it. So if we could roll the film, please. As our story begins, E.T.'s been marooned on planet Earth, lost and alone three million light years from home. But back on E.T.'s home world, the green planet, there's even bigger trouble. The whole place is ailing. So E.T.'s teacher, Botanicus, sends a message from the green planet back to Earth. E.T., come home. We need your magic and healing touch to bring your friends back to health. Okay, now your role in the story is to hop on a dirt bike or one of E.T.'s spaceships and take E.T. home. Steven. Oh, hi, E.T. Yeah, I almost forgot. Thanks. This is what we call a closed set, so you'll need this special pass to enter. After you exit the doors to your right, please give your first name to one of the stagehands, and he'll give you a pass. Ready. I know. It's about time for you to be on the set. But uh, any final direction for your co-stars, E.T.? Be good actors. Earth people, find the one you call E.T. Bring him home to the green planet. Uh Uh-oh, trouble. 
7th, 1990 at Universal Studios Florida. It is the only ride still in operation since the park's opening day. Two other versions of the attraction opened in Universal Studios Hollywood and Universal Studios Japan. However, both were closed in the 2000s. Sad. Sad, but it, it's weird that it's sort of stand... It E.T. Adventure weirdly does stand alone, not... In, in that in, in the way I described it, like it stands alone as the only ride still in operation from Universal's fateful opening day back in the year 1990. And even though it's been cloned over to other Universal parks, uh, all those clones are gone. So it really is a uh, last E.T. standing, really. First and last. And uh, I, I hope it never leaves at this point. At this point, I really think that they can never close it uh, because it's been such a point of like, look, they closed every other classic ride that was in mm-hmm. this park. There's only one left. Uh, I think, you know, there are rumors about, you know, the fact that they are not allowed to close it. I don't know how much how much credibility those rumors actually have. But Mm -hmm. even if they are not true, I think at this point it would be foolish of universal to close that ride. I think it would be an an unwise choice. Yeah. I mean, look, there are many reasons, uh, both, both ones that make sense and ones that seem very arbitrary of why theme park rides close down. But uh, I feel like, you know, not only is E.T. the movie, just one of the classic Universal movies. I, I like I like I think like if you look through the Universal library, it is sort of like one of their defining movies, really. It's that it's that image of the moon and Elliot and E.T. as a silhouette. Yeah. But uh, not only does it have that reputation, but like there's a in a weird way. The same way we were talking about the movie E.T. Adventure because it is meant to be an all of a, a ride for kids and for families, everybody of all ages. It I think that's kind of what's kept its popularity and why it's sort of uh, kept its staying power. Not that nostalgia always guarantees that a theme park attraction sticks around, unfortunately. Right. But there is something, it, it, and it, you know what? It's also kind of tucked away. Like the the location of it is not the most prominent. It's not like uh, it's not like when you go to Universal and there's like a the big Transformers building. It's got the big Optimus Prime statue right there. You right. Know? And it's you know it's and Optimus is pointing at you like ride me, ride me. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, whoa, Optimus. Whoa. 
we just they, met. What if they added that as a voiceover <laughs> to the statue? You walk in, he's like, "Roar to me, roar to me, roar to me." <laughs> um, but uh, but but ride me, fun. freedom fighters. fighters. The only way we can fight for freedom is if you ride me. If you <laughs> ride, <laughs> that is. So upsetting. Okay. <laughs> but we're not here to cancel Optimus Prime, everybody. But, no. But it, it's funny because it is kind of, the E.T. adventure doesn't have the most uh, extravagant, extravagant entrance or marquee. It's kind of tucked away a bit. Uh, yeah. You could maybe pass it by. And I think it, it makes it a, a quaint discovery or a quaint little thing. Like it, like it, it isn't trying to like you know, get in your face and try to be like, come on, come over here. Let's do this. You know, right. You know, right. This ride. It's just like, it, it ride has a very, me, ride me. <laughs> <laughs> Would that be the most disturbing thing of all time? If every IP attraction you go to at the entrance, <laughs> the character that represents that IP is telling <laughs> you to ride them. Yeah, I think it would be. And I, I'm, I would, I wish we could see, that world where at at the entrance of all four Harry Potter rides, Daniel Radcliffe is recorded saying, ride me. Rightly. <laughs> or ride uh, me. <laughs> or if you go to the entrance of fast and furious supercharged, you get Dom going ride yeah. or die me. Ride yeah. me or die. Ride me or die. Ride me or die. <laughs> this is great. I'm we've, we we've, have, we've cracked it. We've cracked the code. Uh. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. They don't need uh, Universal doesn't need to invest in any new technology or new attractions. They just need their characters to to, to insist that people ride them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, get, uh, getting back on on topic a little bit about okay. uh, ET's uh, status as a classic ride, I think. I think there was a time where this ride was not popular and I, but I think that was a time that led to the closure of like King Kong and back to the future. I think that was a time that just like universal Orlando was not popular in general. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that ET probably was in, in some real danger of being closed at that time. Mm-hmm. Because I think Universal is just kind of going through and being like, why aren't people coming here? What can we do? What can we replace our things with? And then the answer to that question was Harry Potter. Um, mm-hmm. And then they mm-hmm. kind of ha- stopped having to do that, at least with the excuse being uh, the popularity. Like Jaws closed for a lot of of reasons. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Operational. I don't think the popularity of the ride necessarily was the, one of the biggest factors because I think that ride, you know, they know it was a classic. They knew that, but there were, you know, it was just more trouble than it was worth to keep operationally open. difficult. Yes. Uh, and I, but I think ET, e- ET survived that, that period. And I think that there's no reason to close it at this point. Yeah. Even if, even if they, you know, even if they wanted to, there's no actual reason to do it. It feels at this point like, I mean, you can say it's the most nostalgic ride at Universal just because of the fact that it's the only remaining ride. 
uh, since opening year, but I think it is the one ride where I think people genuinely do have memories of going on it as a kid and they come back as a teenager or adult or they bring their own kids on it. And it's, uh, yeah, I think it, I think it had to survive that drought that you were talking about for people to fall back in love with it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it hurts me to think of like, you know, the way that nostalgia has brought back things like Back to the Future. I think that ride, if it had, if it was still there, would be more popular now than it was when it opened, maybe. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, I mean, making that into the Simpsons ride makes sense. Makes sense. The Simpsons is super popular, continues to be popular. Uh, so it isn't like it, it doesn't. And cause you know, at, you know, in the early two thousands, no one was thinking that much about back to the future, but there you go. If only Doc yeah. Brown and Marty could have, could have, uh, <laughs> gotten that in their DeLorean and anticipated that. Mm. Yeah. They should have gone in the future just to check, like, are we going to become insanely popular out of nowhere in a few years? If the answer is yes. If the answer is yes, uh, but uh, <laughs> well, well, but maybe that was the maybe that was the important lesson though, because that they learn, you know, hey, you know, you can't bet, you know, uh, you know, in Back to the Future Part Two, is I was like, you can't oh. use it the future for betting, so maybe they have yeah. to keep that lesson, you know, just let the future play out, even if you get taken over by Matt Groening cartoon characters, you know. You're right. The almanac they couldn't use the almanac to predict the nostalgia boom of the uh, late 2000s and 10s or whatever. (laughs) But now, okay, let's, let's get back. In fact, you know what? We talked about the ride and kind of the history of it and its presence, but let's get into the ride building and let's talk about that dang forest queue that everybody loves. And, and it's, Everyone talks about like, oh my gosh, Universal has gotten so good at queues. Well, guess what? The original queue, E.T., is better than almost anything that they've done since. Like, Whoa! It's so... Like, the only one that really holds up, I think, is uh, like the two main Harry Potter flagship rides, right? Going through Hogwarts Castle and Gringotts Bank are the only queue experiences that I think are more transported yeah yeah i totally the et forest yeah it definitely i mean it's a cliche to say but it does make you legit feel like you are there in the setting that you desperately want to experience from those movies and right like and the the the, the funny thing is that the way it was built was not like we want you to feel like you're really there it was no this is a film set (laughs) And you are going onto the film set of E.T. Adventure, the sequel to E.T., where you will help E.T. get back to his home planet because they are sick. And for some reason, even though he went back there, he's back here. And you have to help him get there, even (laughs) though Botanicus is here in the forest talking to us in the queue. And then when we get to the planet, he's there. And I don't understand why he couldn't just give E.T. a ride home. Yeah. From like that. where do we have to do it? <laughs> yeah. How what's my job here? Like yeah. why how did I get roped into this? We got and we <laughs> have to risk getting captured by the police and the spacemen in the spacesuits and uh, and true yeah. danger and whatnot. When we get back to Earth, we could be arrested for for what we've done. So I yeah. don't know. 
for embedding and aiding a fugitive of space law. Yeah. Oh my God. Space law. And you know, you know how much, you know, know what happens? They throw you in the space jail. (laughs) Obviously the space police will take you to space jail and you'll go to space court. (laughs) And uh, you you won't have a damn ET trying to help you out there. Yeah. But look, uh, I think the queue is wonderful. It's it's so evocative, and it is a. I mean, the, it's weird because it really does. The trees feel real. The trees they do feel real, even though you're not supposed to really touch them. But they, it really is <laughs> evocative of a forest, and we got to talk about that smell. That forest smell, though, you can smell it from outside. You can smell it everywhere. I don't it, think it actually, it doesn't smell like a forest to me. It smells like the ETQ, which is even better. Yeah, yeah it has a distinctive <laughs> Q. You, you want that as like a, a, as a, a mist spray that you can like, like go and then you can yeah. walk right through it and then you can smell and it. And I, I think you can buy like, uh, what are those things called? Like the, the oil diffusers or whatever. Oh, is that what really? it is? Oh. I feel like I know that they make candles of it, and I think you can maybe get diffuser scents of mm-hmm. it as well. Um, and they're not like officially licensed, but like there are just like candle companies who have cracked this recipe and they they sell mm. candles. Before um, people were trying to copy the taste of Universal's butter beer, people were trying to crack the smell of the forest queue and eat from ET. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also I want to highlight the presence of the speak and spell like phone machine that ET creates, which is uh-huh. in the queue, yes. and it's work. It's like working and it moves and it's like yeah. spelling the the message help ET. Yeah. And I every time I walk past it, I just like I look at it and I stare at it and I admire it and say, "Look, it's it's here. That's the thing." And I know it's not the real one from the movie, but like. It's just exciting that there's one of them here, you know? I mean, that's the magic of theme parks, really. That's that's It's trying to transport you to these fantasy worlds that you love. And, and, you know, and yeah, you could say that, you know, all theme parks are doing is doing a copy-paste job of just like, okay, it was already, <laughs> you know, you know, thought up in a movie or a show and we're just transplanting it. But no, there's a special art to it and there's a special different kind of experience and euphoria from just being like oh wow i am in now in the same room as the thing that i always really enjoyed seeing on screen and yeah that it's the it's the little things like seeing the little et communicator that make it really wonderful yeah it's so good yeah and i will say i do love cues that have an animatronic because it feels like a really special thing. Because usually they save, you know, the animatronics for the ride. But they decide to be really special to us and give us an, an animatronic of E.T.'s teacher Botanicus in the queue. <laughs> yes. And uh, Bot- I'm sh- Botanicus. Botanicus. Uh, the best new original character from theme park uh, stories. Yeah, and which, uh, which I'm sure... Unfortunately, these these idiots, these idiots who simply just walk through the queue and look up and they're like, oh, look, there's E.T. I'm sure that happens yeah. daily. I'm sure that makes yeah. all the team members there, makes their blood boil. Probably doesn't, <laughs> probably, probably, probably if they were allowed to, they wouldn't even allow them admittance onto the ride vehicle. 
What's uh, worse? What's worse? Go, seeing Botanicus and thinking, oh, look, it's E.T. Or seeing Botanicus and, and saying, oh, that that must be E.T.'s grandpa. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, it's insulting because they're saying that they all look alike. And that's really yeah. that, that that's problematic there. <laughs> Not all E.T.'s look alike, even though they yeah. kind of do. <laughs> They, I mean, that's just because we don't know them well enough to be able to recognize the mm. differences. I bet, I bet to ET, all humans look alike. Yeah, I bet to ET, all humans probably are just family members of Elliot. Probably like Elliot just has this gigantic <laughs> extended family. Yeah, <laughs> Peter Coyote is Peter Coyote is Elliot's really old brother. Yeah, it's just Big Elliot. It's Big Elliot. Big Elliot. <laughs> um, B-E. <laughs> E.T. B.E. B.E. B.E.T. Big E.T. Big Elliot. I don't know what we're talking I don't know what we're trying to make. We're just free associating now. Let me tell you something about the aforementioned ride vehicles. Uh, so oh I goodness. went to Universal. So I went to Universal when I was little. I- I've been to the park and experienced a lot of the attractions that aren't there anymore. So uh-huh. obviously, at ET, the ride vehicle is a set of bikes, of course. But yeah. it's bike. It's the ET adventure. Of course, it's bikes. But in its few opening years of operation, they also had a spaceship that you could get into and ride. And I remember I, getting on the spaceship. You do? I do remember getting on the spaceship, yes. I don't know if I ever did. I don't remember when the first time I went to Universal was. I think I must have been five or six. And I think at that point, they probably would have discontinued the spaceship. Yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty... I think it was shuffled off pretty fast. But uh, yeah, I do remember getting on the spaceship and... Uh, Little did I know how lucky I would be at that young age. I should have yeah. taken more in in my young age. But I remember getting on. It was like, uh, I mean, it was basically the same, same attached to the same track as the bikes. But it was just like this big white oval spaceship. I think there was like a blue stripe on it or something. It just, oh. uh, yeah, it was just like a generic spaceship. Was the seating arrangement different or was it like, was it like the handicap seats or, or what was it? I seem to recall it was bench seating, like one long bench that sat four. Um, huh. It's like um, the, it's like the, like the thing on the carousel where like, it's like a carriage instead of. Yeah, like yeah, a yeah. Horse. Yeah. And also uh, because uh, you were like inside this thing, you didn't have a, as good of a like a 360 view as you did on the bikes like obviously you could still see things but like it you know but there were like you know you couldn't look all around you and see like if you look behind you you would have like the back of the spaceship blocking your view if you want to look behind you so interesting yes uh so huh yeah i mean i'm uh i'm a a proud spaceship boy on the et adventure i I feel proud of that (laughs) yes there is something wonderful about those bikes, though, I feel, because I feel like there's something uh, there. I, it, you know, I mean, obviously, bikes had to be the ride vehicle of choice for E.T., but I also think there's something more participatory about being on bikes that you're not just in like, uh, like, OK, so there's like uh, a ride similar to E.T. would be Peter Pan's flight, right? In right. You're in the little ship, but it feels like you're maybe a little passive because you're just in a ship 
you're just flying around right you're just observing everything whereas when you're on the bike it's like oh yeah we're we're doing it we're pedaling through the forest and yeah we're he's on it. he's he's in our basket yeah yeah i mean you you truly are in the shoes of in the shoes of elliot in that yeah in that whole ride and that's what makes it so i think that's what makes it so evocative yeah and even though steven spielberg tells us don't worry you don't have to pedal i still like to pedal um you, you still want to live the dream yeah i want and i i make it i i work harder when we're going up hills and i give myself a break <laughs> when we're going down hills i really give myself the full immersive experience of pedaling a bike um through uh this journey do you think you ever get so caught up in that imagination that you feel like you could finish the ride in 30 seconds if you pedaled really fast? Or... <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. I probably like, could. Like, look, I know I wait in line so long, but I really need to, you know, go see the next horror makeup show. So let me see if I can pedal really <laughs> fast and, and really bust ass through the planet, yeah. and, you know. If, if you could race other riders through there and get him to the green planet the fastest. <laughs> then you win. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. If you, yeah. yeah. Or you can take it a slower ride if you want to, if you really want to admire the scenery. Yeah. Or you could pretend to put the, put the, put the brakes on and then stop the ride immediately just to observe <laughs> everything. Yeah, like just park and watch this one guy say... Hey, hold it right there. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I there's a uh yeah, you just you just stop and you can also look at that owl in the forest, that owl yeah. that looks at you. Yeah. Which I don't really understand what that owl's uh narrative purpose is, but hey, I'm I like it. You like that. Maybe the owl is cheering <laughs> you on like <laughs> You can do it. You can do you can do Keep- it. Keep pedaling. <laughs> In owl um. language, that's the that you're like. It's like if you're on that. It's like you're on a bike marathon, and they're the ones on the side going go go. But it's like whoo whoo. Yeah. Keep going. So I think what makes this ride super cool is, and I know that it's been pointed out that a lot of Universal's rides are this way, which also makes them really fun. Is that you're not just traveling through the story of the movie that you know it's some sort of other adventure you're either like a parallel story to the one you know or it's just like hey here's a whole new thing that you're doing with characters that you know and love and uh this this one is so bizarre especially compared to the actual movie which never gets anywhere close to like this level of of whimsy (laughs) to briefly talk about this so the Green Planet, which everyone travels to on E.T. Adventure, obviously we don't see it in the movie. However, in 1985, there was a novel put out that is supposed to be an official sequel to the movie called E.T., The Book of the Green Planet. And in this book, not only do we learn that E.T.'s real name is Drek, but Botanicus <laughs> is introduced in this book. Um, oh, I, I didn't even know that. Yes, that's where Botanicus comes from. Uh, they also, in in conjunction with the novel, they did a picture storybook version of the of uh, of the Green Planet story, and uh, a lot of the illustrations from that storybook uh, end up informing what the Green 
planet looks like on the ride. And uh, yeah, let me tell you, E.T., you, uh, I know you're supposed to head to, back to your home planet to save it, but you kind of got one butt-ugly planet to save. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, I, I sometimes occasionally think twice when I see, I, not to judge people by their appearances, but the... Uh, somewhat disgusting way your planet looks and the kind of disgusting way some of your friends look i don't know if uh, your planet is worth saving i don't want to be all eugenics about it but uh yeah uh, look maybe i don't understand told different other culture maybe i don't understand so <laughs> uh yeah it is a very strange planet um with a lot of weird looking uh creatures on it and and of course, Steven Spielberg tells us in the pre-show video that we have to look out for E.T.'s friends, you know, it, because we have to, I, I don't know, like E.T., maybe the space travel has made E.T. forget what his friends look like. Yeah. And Be so on the we, lookout for E.T.'s friends uh, because it's up to you to help E.T. find them. And only E.T.'s magic healing touch can save his planet. Why? I, I kind of assumed that E.T.'s healing touch was a standard ability to his species because that not now we are implying that like et is some sort of super being among his people um, yeah yeah who is also a, a dummy who can't like remember when to get back to the car before it leaves um and he <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he so it's like okay he's like a superman who uh, is easily forgotten by his <laughs> ent entire civilization on this on this journey to a different world. <laughs> well, also, like, in the movie, his healing touch is only like, okay, like, Elliot cuts his finger, so he puts, you know, he puts, he, he makes the boo-boo go away. And sure, yeah. he, he makes the one potted plant, you know, come back to life. But, but he, but... His touch is is going to save this entire planet. But... <laughs> well, why? Yeah. If that's the case, why did they put him on the ship? He needs to stay there to sustain this place, or else everyone's gonna die. Right. There's some sort of hidden secret, like hidden dark uh, backstory here, where ET is a uh, has this magic power that he doesn't tell anybody about, and they don't know. Mm. And sometime between the events of the movie and the ride they find out that E.T. has this magic touch. And then he's like, all right, but I still want to go back to Earth and visit my friend Elliot. Mm -hmm. So see you guys. And then they all start dying. And then e Steven Spielberg sends us on a mission <laughs> to, <laughs> to bring him back. What is Steven Spielberg in the universe of this uh, story? If if, if E.T. is not a movie, <laughs> is Steven Spielberg just a separate, just a filmmaker who... Uh, uh, knows aliens exist and is just friends with E.T., I guess, you know? I think so. I think yeah. so. Um, yeah. E.T. is also the key to the evidence that the Star Wars films are actually documentaries that portray true events that happened in our universe. Um, uh, oh, true. Very true. Because the fact that E.T., sees yoda and recognizes him as a halloween costume and says home home and that there are toys from star wars in et but then et's species is in star wars wow well, yeah 
so et yeah. exists in a world where the 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 characters of star wars are real things yeah. and also the star wars films exist <laughs> yeah that's a uh, wow can make your brain explode trying to parse that. And if you think about it, if you think about that, that kind of makes ET's ET Adventure like a proto Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It is. If you want the full Star Wars theme park experience, you have to go to Universal and ride the ET Adventure. It's funny if you think about it, the the first ET Adventure and Star Tours kind of have the same thing where a, a very small comical thing is guiding you in 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 star tours it was uh rex the pilot oh yeah who couldn't uh who couldn't uh he he has no healing touch he's a bumbling fool yeah he's a peewee herman robot (laughs) (laughs) who got who got uh who got downgraded to being a dj in some bar now yeah oga's cantina uh he's a great dj though he is, he is a great really DJ. Good. Yeah, and he, that's a fun animatronic. Um, the I will. Uh, is there any? Oh, let me say this about ET's friends on the Green Planet. Uh, most of them are butt ugly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't like the uh, Magdal. Yeah, the last one. Yeah, Come. the one. You have saved our planet. Come, yeah, celebrate with us. Yeah, I don't have a thing. I'm not creeped out by dolls. I don't like that thing. <laughs> yeah. I like, I think I like the first one the best. Tikri. He ha- yeah, he, he, Tikri's kind of, mm, he looks, he looks like a pumpkin creature, like a, like a, like almost like a pumpkin head monster almost. Oh like yeah. But in a fun way. And then Orbidon mm. says, you know, welcome home. You've welcome arrived. Home. He sings that beautiful song. Yeah. I do like Orbidon. <laughs> I, he, he's a fun mushroom man. Welcome home, you've arrived. Maybe it's like, because... Yeah, go ahead. I want to. I would love to program a, like, you know, you can program, like, your home devices now to, like, be triggered to do certain things. Like, I want one that does that whenever I get home. Oh, that'd be fun. Or you can reprogram it, and when you walk into your... To your home, Orbidon can be ride me, <laughs> ride me. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I share one of my greatest memories of the ET adventure? Please. So, in I think 2016 or 17, I was frequently going to various parks in Orlando with a group of friends, and we somehow got onto the game of trying to get E.T. to say the same name over and over again. Uh, And I just picked the first gender-neutral name that came into my head, which was Tony. Can be a woman's name, can be a man's name, it can be anyone's name. Mm -hmm. So every time we would go on E.T., we would all tell the team member working at the name station that our name was Tony. And then I would try to get it on video and uh, we tried it several times on, you know, it doesn't always line up where you get your names on the ride. Right. Uh, Because we, and we haven't mentioned this, but one of the best things about the ET ride is that at the end of it, he thanks you personally by name. Yes. He calls out your name. It's, It's very magical and wonderful. It's such a unique and truly bizarre feature for a ride to have, but 
Um, so we wanted to hear just E.T. say the same name a few times. And so eventually we finally did it and I caught it on video. We got E.T. saying the name Tony seven times in a row and we celebrated. <laughs> and I thought I thought that was the end of it. Um, but then appearing on other podcasts on Grim Grinning Hosts and maybe some others, uh, I told this story. And it became kind of like this thing with their listeners of like, you know, going to E.T. and telling them your name is Tony. Um, and so then we created a Facebook event to try to get one whole ride vehicle of people saying their name is Tony. Uh, <laughs> that was the goal was to get one ride vehicle full of Tony's. What ended up happening is on the day of this event, we had 40 people. <laughs> <laughs> 40 40 just you know friends and just people who enjoy jokes on the internet uh showing up to the et adventure at park open uh all going in saying our name is tony and doing this <laughs> thing together and it was very strange and it's become now this, well, it hasn't become an annual event because we would have done it last year, but the pandemic uh, made that not possible. What the pandemic has taken away from us. Yeah. And I, I believe that the ride still is not doing the names yet because <sighs> they the, discontinued yeah. that um, for the pandemic. And uh, whenever yeah. it comes back, we'll be able to plan the second uh, Tony day. Every, everybody Tony is the name of the event. <laughs> And I think because you skipped a year, it needs to be like twice the size now. It, you know, you you missed out, so you gotta we you gotta build up the Tonys. Yeah, we. My yeah. goal is to have a hundred Tonys. Yeah, for, for this more, year, more Tonys than they give out on the Tony Awards night. I want. Yeah, we need one Tony for every Tony Award that is awarded on a typical uh, <laughs> year. Tony, uh, Tony, Tony, Tony. So many Tonys. <laughs> um, so that's yeah, that horrible. and that yeah, that that's going to be one of my like like lasting legacies is is to as the creator of everybody Tony. Um, <laughs> more than more than your other creative endeavors you've talked about, you want to be known for Tony Day at ET. Well, and we we used everybody Tony Day as a way to promote the band by like saying it was uh, brought you brought go. to you by Pangolin. It was like on the poster. On oh, the there event. you go, man! You gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta get your plugs and weave them in very nicely, very nicely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that is such a wonderful story that I think, uh, you know, I know we, you just talked about your great Tony celebration, uh, but before we close out the theme park discussion, are there any last thoughts you have about E.T. Um, it is really at this point, the only classic ride at Universal or maybe the mummy and men in black kind of fall into that now because they've been there for quite some time but it's it it's over 30 years old at this point and i i worry sometimes that it isn't popular or relevant but i think back to one time i was riding it i was in the park alone i don't know i just felt like riding it i guess i went on it and a family was sitting behind me with two young boys probably you know both of them ranging in ages from maybe 8 to 12 uh and I was like, these kids probably haven't even seen this movie. They're not going to understand what's going on. Like, they just went on it because it's a ride at the park that they're at. 
And so we get to the green planet section and both of them are behind me saying, this is so cool. And I was like, okay, okay, good. This ride still has something for the modern child who lives in a world of overstimulation um, and like constant, constant uh, like sensory input. Uh, This ride feels like, like an outdated antiquated, form of entertainment i think sometimes Mm -hmm. but when i see kids like that who ride it and just think this is cool it gives me hope for the future (laughs) (laughs) truly truly oh that's uh, that's all wonderful i'm glad we could end the theme park discussion on those particular stories those are very just uh, very wonderful positive things um but uh look I, there's usually a closing segment I have on the other podcast, but I think we need to bring it here up on the ET podcast. So uh, before we close out our ET podcast, uh, I guess we'll go ahead and ask the question that I ask at the end of the uh, other podcast. And this closing segment is called Ride the Ride or Movie the Movie. And so, Kenneth, hmm. I a- have to ask you, uh, you obviously love both E.T. the movie and E.T. the ride, but if you had to choose, uh, what do you think is the better experience? You know, you're not saying that one is bad and one is good, just simply what is the better experience of the two? Um, uh, the, the movie. I think the movie is better. Okay. Uh, the movie is one of the greatest films ever made, in my opinion. And the ride is... It's good. It's classic, but it is not essential in the scheme of like theme park rides in general. You mm-hmm. know, I wouldn't say like if you are someone who's trying to see the best rides in the world, I don't think E.T. is necessarily one of your essential stops. It it has sentimental value and it has its place in theme park history really uh, by default because of the fact that it's the only remaining ride from the opening of this park. Uh, Whereas I think if you were trying to look at all of the best movies ever made, you would have to watch E.T. as one of them. Hmm, Yes. Okay. Well, okay. makes a lot of sense. makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, all right. Well, I guess that's been this episode of We Talking Extra to Me about E.T., the extraterrestrial, i.e. the movie and the ride, E.T.A. right now. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Good app. That was a really long app. Yeah, it was a long app. And unfortunately, I'm sorry, Kenneth. We, we had to take up so much time with it with that that uh we don't have any more time to do my podcast uh, wait we don't work so we're not going to be able to talk about et at all on no on no we wasted too much time i'm oh, sorry no. uh no nah, you know i guess we'll have to have <sighs> you back on to actually guess talk so. about et but on uh, this show on this show but uh <laughs> i guess we still have another minute or so left to uh, talk about uh, any plugs that you'd like to promote. So, uh, Kenneth, are there any projects that you'd like to plug or any social media tags you'd like to mention? 
Oh yeah, sure. Um, so I'm on the internet at King Kemen, uh, and that's King like the you know as opposed to a queen, and then Kemen spelled K E M M A N. Uh, that's that's me on Twitter and Instagram, and then you can listen to Dream Jerks podcast, which comes out on all platform at least all the major podcast podcast platforms i think there's a few like really niche ones that i don't i don't i'm not sure they actually exist that it's not on but that comes out every other wednesday uh and then this is is this this is after july 27th it is yes so i can now talk about pangolin's next project well, first of all, in general, Pangolin is online at Pangolin FL, and you can listen to our music anywhere online that music is streamed or found. And look out for us out in the world playing shows again. And we've just announced our Halloween project, which is called The Family Ghouls. And we will uh, be releasing a four song EP inspired by the Universal Classic Monsters. And that EP will be out September 3rd. And we will be playing a live show of the family ghouls and that show will be on october 2nd at will's pub on the outskirts of downtown orlando and this show is basically the concept is we're pretending that universal studios and halloween horror nights approached the band to say hey we don't have bill and ted we don't have the academy of villains anymore we need you to make us a show to replace those and fill the void at Halloween Horror Nights. And so that's what this show is. It is a theme park show based on our versions of the classic Universal Monsters with original songs and costumes and a script. And it is not just a regular concert. It is a stage production. <laughs> Wonderful. Can't wait to can't wait to hear it. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, I'm very excited. And that was just announced uh, or yeah, here in late July. So we're very excited. We've been working very hard on it. And uh, it's easily the most ambitious thing that any of us have ever tried to do. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to it and hope people come check it out and enjoy it. Check it out, folks. Pangolin's a lot of fun. And uh, Kenneth, this was a lot of fun. This was fun. I'm always happy to talk E.T. Whenever you want to uh, do an, a show dissecting the universe of cars, I'm also interested in doing that. Uh. <laughs> oh, man, that's a uh, mm, that's a uh, I get I think we uh, I mean, I fear having are you, you on. Yeah. Are you driving me crazy talking crazy cars world <laughs> today? <laughs> well, I think we will on another <laughs> another day. But uh, <laughs> Kenneth, thanks for stopping by. Thank you, Travis. I want to say thank you once again to Kenneth Leeming Jr. for such a fun time. And I want to thank you, the listener, for uh, also participating in this fun time. And I also hope that you... Had a pleasurable experience. Uh, until we go into the next episode, uh, you can... Uh, I'm not doing a good job at this outro, folks. What's wrong? What's wrong with me? Well, until I can figure out what's right or what's wrong with me, you can follow this podcast on Twitter at TPTMPod. 
Uh, that's on Twitter. And uh, you can email the show at tptmpod at gmail.com. And if you're being so nice and kindly, you can give this show a nice rating and review wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast. Uh, what else do I have to say? I guess I don't have anything else to say except that uh, we'll be back next week for another fun time, another fun episode of this limited run series where we talk all things movies and talk all things theme parks. But until then, I'll see you at the snack stand.